My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Excellent. All right, well, we're in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we are on what page, Dave? Page 85, awesome, cool, page 85. So if you'll head over to page 85, I'll read through Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we'll get going with uh, one verse today, because I think it's the longest verse in Colossians, though, so I'll, I'll kind of say that. So I don't know that that helps at all, but that's what I'm going to say. That's what I tell myself, so there's that. All right, Colossians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All right, on page... 85, uh, we're going to take a look at our one verse for today, uh, and it has already locked up, Dave, just FYI. So, uh, so our one verse today, does this sound like we are starting a sentence? No, it's because we are not starting a sentence. Uh, and there is, as far as I can tell, no way to, like, quote-unquote, fix this at this point in Christianity we are pretty much stuck with where the diverse divisions are at this point. I, I cannot imagine trying to go reprogram, and I mean, that would just, that would be a lot. Um, but this is where verse 23 starts. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, and then a brand new sentence, this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So um, this is the tricky part the first half of verse 23. So let's look at page 85 uh, and take a look at these words for just a minute. So if indeed, uh, and then kind of the first section here, you remain grounded. Now what do you notice, um, what do you notice about this, you remain grounded in the original language there? What do you notice about that? You isn't there. Good, good. It's supplied by the verb. Right? Or should I say it's supplied by the verbs? You see, it's two verbs back to back. And we wouldn't do this in English, right? We wouldn't just put like two verbs back to back. But they do this in Greek all the time. Um, and it gets a little wonky when you translate it because sometimes they take the definition of both the words and kind of merge them together a little bit. Sometimes they push that into the, the way in which it's translated. Um, this word, uh, the first word there, uh, epimeneo, is uh, to stay or to remain. And then the second is to lay a basis for or grounded. So this present active indicative, so there's this active piece here that is done by us, but the grounded is a what? The grounded is a passive, Right? So, is the passive done by us? No, it's not. So there's an element where we are responsible, and there's an element of this where we are not responsible. It is done to us. You're like, okay, well, that's interesting. Where's the split? All right. Churches have split over figuring out where the split there is. Uh, we are not going to articulate the fine line of where this is, but I will say that the groundedness piece here, I, I think, I think, and this is a perfect tense as well, so this is done in the past with the results continuing in the present of this thing that is done to us. Uh, this feels like if it is not us doing it, then it is who doing it? Then it's God doing it. All right, 
So God is engaged in the basis of this uh, groundwork for our perseverance. Because that's really what we're talking about here, right? This, if you remain, if you endure, if you uh, remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. So if we, if we looked at someone's life and we said, they are no longer grounded and steadfast in the faith, would we articulate and argue that they are a Christian? You're like, probably not. That feels like one of those, it springs up really quick and it withers away and it dies because it has no root and it wasn't really uh, a part, right? So I, I would say this a different way. I would say perseverance is possible because of God's work, not because of ours. The, the remain piece here is our work. The grounded piece is God's work and the groundedness there is from God. So thoughts on, yes. Cool. This is what wakes me up in the middle of the night with terror sweats, is diagramming Greek sentences. So I, I literally am sweating right now when you said diagram this sentence. So, <laughs> like literally. Yep, it is. Use the subject. Uh, if only that's what it was in Greek, but it's not, yeah. It does, doesn't it? And that's the, the way I would argue that most of our English translators translate it because it's nonsense if you literally translate it from Greek to English as many sentences are in, from Greek to English, which is why we don't actually, we say a lot, I want a literal translation. You do not want a literal translation. You want somebody who has done decades of work smoothing this out so that we can actually understand it. So, so, so I apologize. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 because I'm going to, we're going to twist our heads a little bit more at the top of page 86. So the bottom of 85 is actually easy compared to the top of 86. Okay, so you're the is a verb. It is, yes. It's a passive verb, yes. So God does the grounding here. He lays the basis for our steadfastness, for our perseverance, which is really good. I, I'm going to... I need to be reminded to say this every single phrase in this whole verse. Every single phrase in this whole verse is good news for us because I am not on the hook for laying the basis for my own perseverance. Does this make sense? Because <laughs> I can't do that. I can't keep myself saved, right? I can't even lay the... It is a big if. Because if not, then verse 22 is not true. That's right. It's exactly right. Now, have we ever known Paul to use an if when he assumes the answer is true. He does this all the time, right? He does this all the time. So he's calling them into a, hey, pay attention. Is this true? Yes, it really is. And he sometimes doesn't even articulate in the verse. This is a rhetorical question with the answer assumed to be yes. Now, what makes this particular verse tricky is that there are sometimes specific Greek uh, 
sequences of words that Paul will use to indicate, I know the answer is yes, and I'm going to ask you this rhetorical question anyway, those aren't here. So it's kind of in the middle of a, wait, is it? Is it not? And that's where we have to put our you know, proverbial uh, theological thinking caps on. <gasps> I like that, theological thinking caps. There's, that's good. Uh, and make sure that we are reading Scripture in the context of all Scripture, not just this one verse that I'm going to uh, beat to death out of context. So. It's a verb, yes. 100% a verb. Yes. Yep. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because remember, what's the larger argument of Colossians? The larger argument of Colossians is wonkiness, weirdness, craziness, and all this uh, buffet, yes to everything theology. And no, 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 no. Like, it's all about Jesus Christ. So we're going to go come and focus back on him and focus back on him and focus back on him and the work of the Father and the Spirit and the Son to do what only the Father, Son, and Spirit can do which is really kind of amazing. So, so if indeed you remain grounded, then top of page 86, and steadfast. All right, so what type of word is steadfast? It's an adjective. <laughs> There's your adjective. <laughs> All right, um, the word in is actually not in there, and then you get the faith. You're like, well, how do you, what? What? Yeah, steadfast is describing here uh, a word. What word is it describing? On the basis of what grammatically? Look at the, uh, so we're going we're gonna to push into a part of Greek grammar that I don't normally do, but look at the masculine nominative after the plural on steadfast at the top of page 86. So when you see an adjective, we're looking for something that is the same as that, and grammatically it's going to tell us exactly what word it is modifying. So the plural masculine nominative for steadfast? Uh, for, Yes. That's right, the plural masculine nominative for steadfast. What is, what is around that word that is also plural masculine nominative? Grounded. <laughs> There's your adjective. I, I can't say the word adjective. When I say it more than like twice a day, it starts to come out weird, and I get in my head on it, so when I mess it up here in just a minute, it, it just is what it is. So, sorry. <laughs> there we go. Welcome to my world. <laughs> so in, in Greek, when you have the, the masculine adjective, it'll have a masculine yep. word that is exactly disconnected. But we use different, you know, uh, techniques in English to do 
Yeah. It's a steadfast groundedness. Yes. And we know that definitively because of the nuance of the actual words in the original language. Most people want to have steadfast modify faith because there's the closest noun. It's actually not a steadfast faith. I don't know about you. I don't actually have a steadfast faith. Maybe you do. That's awesome if you do. Fantastic. Teach me how. What we have is a steadfast groundedness, and that work is done by God. Isn't that awesome? Because it is a, a um, how do I know it's a verb? It's in the form of a verb, uh, grammatically, um, and every resource that I have access to all says that it is a verb. So this is, this is a, that's a great question, how do I know it's a verb? I have to rely on other experts to answer that question because I am not an expert in Greek. I just have access to some tools. Right, I was going to say the, yeah, the suffix is, that's what tells you it's a verb. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will tell everybody this. You are one question away from me going, I have no idea. <laughs> we, are, we are dancing on, and I love these questions. I absolutely love these questions. But we are dancing on the edge, perilously looking over the cliff of, Jim falls down? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Yes. Yes. Lots of options. An unbelievable amount of options. Yes. Yep. This wasn't centered around the, the Word of God. I would have already walked out of this So, So can we take a second and just be grateful for the clarity of God's Word in the spots where it is abundantly, I would argue, almost obnoxiously clear? Uh, and... With this level of specificity, there are spots in the New Testament, and I would imagine the Old Testament, even though I don't know much about Hebrew, where we don't have a lot of specificity, where there is openness, and I would argue intentional ambiguity to create space for a variety of ways to apply certain things. But here, this steadfast is grounded. So if indeed, haha, you remained grounded and steadfast in the faith grounded and steadfast in the faith. Now, um, look over at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I want you to, I don't have you turn there very often, but if you've got a copy of the Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Because have you ever heard words before that could be interpreted as a threat, but really aren't? Have you ever heard words that could be interpreted as a threat, but really are not a threat? Because there's a way that you can read Colossians 1.23 so that it sounds a smidge threatening and concerning. And, oh no, it's all on me! 
I would argue that is not a healthy or theologically accurate way to read Colossians 1.23. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let's oh, so start at, uh, start at uh, oh, we've got to start at 50. Okay. What am I saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this, incorruptible, for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This word steadfast shows up here again in verse 58. And verse 58 should never, ever, ever be used as a weapon against Christians for guilt and uh, threats to work harder. Right? Did work did our work accomplish our salvation? No, not at all. Like, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in whose work? In the Lord's work. Because you know that your labor, our labor in the Lord's work, is not in vain. See, this is not a threat, and I don't think verse 23 in Colossians chapter 1 is a threat either. I think Paul is actually using them consistently. This is an encouragement. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, who's doing the steadfast groundedness? That's God. So do we have to worry about that? No. Now, don't hear, I'm going to use my Brian line, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean sleep in all day and do nothing, right? That is not what this verse is calling us to do. There is plenty for the Colossians to do. But freak out about our groundedness in the faith and our perseverance? Nah, not my role. You ever heard the phrase, not my monkey, not my circus? Sean McGarvey said that to me one time at fight night, and I was uh, drinking something. And I'm sorry, Jules, you're just now finding out about this. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I spit root beer all over a former couch that we had in our living room. So, um, And uh, we just don't have to lose our minds about this. Like, this is God's work, and this is really good for us. This is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful for us. So what's the believer's role here? To remain, right? Is the believer's role to do? No, the believer's role is to remain. So that's my application. The believer's role is to remain. So what do you think we ought to do with that? Remain. Now, he's going to tell us other stuff that we're going to go do, yes. But right here, for this phrase, at this time, remain. So let's remain. Uh, I think he's, I think he's, watch me. I think, I think he is uh, using his exceptional rhetorical skills to 
pause and make them think about this for just a second. Um, sometimes when somebody gives me fact after 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 fact without asking me a question, I begin to lose some of the attentiveness in the middle. And Paul's style is to periodically pause, step out, ask a question, make sure the listener, not the reader, the listener is engaged and kind of go back into this. But that is Jim's guess. Most of the modern commentators align with that, but not all, and I'm cool with that because that's not a that's not a close-fisted issue for me. So. Yes, absolutely. Yep. 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 Yeah. 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 It's his it's his style of writing. I think it's just yeah. That's right. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, remain grounded and steadfast in the faith. And, all right, part two. So the first part was remain. Part two, are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. So page 87, are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel. Now, this is a tricky one. <laughs> As if the two prior pages weren't. I think this is actually a tricky one. What's the verb tense for shifted away? So it's a present passive participle, right? Okay. So it's plural, which is good. So it's the group but a present passive participle. You guys have heard me say all the time, when you see a present active participle, that's the habit, the recurring, the, the thing that we're doing that's supposed to be a lifestyle type of a thing. The present passive participle is, I'm going to unwind that, this is being done to us habitually. All right? This is, what, this is the lifestyle that we're in that is impacting us. Now, I don't want to take this out of context. What's the context of the letter to the Colossians? Colossae, first century. Was anything being done to the Colossians in the first century from the environment and the culture that they were in? Yeah. Like, anything will do. Anything and everything will do. It's the ultimate in yes, right? It's the, what, what's, your, what's, your theolo- what's your theological position? Yes. What do you mean? Yes. Yes to what? Yes. Uh, like that's a mess, right? So was there an opportunity for them to be shifted away? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. So has your hope ever shifted from one thing to another thing? The thing that you thought was like, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden you realize that didn't have the substance that I thought it did. That didn't have the staying power, the sticking power, the resilience, the, the weightiness. Yeah. So uh, my application here for me is uh, hope can shift. And for me, a personalization is be aware of what's happening to us. Right? We, 
we should actually be aware of the culture that we exist in. That is a helpful thing to be aware of. I don't know that we all have to be experts in it, but we should at least be aware of what's happening and aware of what's happening to our hope. Because where is our hope found? In Jesus, right? How are we connected to Christ? Through the gospel. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, be aware of what's happening to us. Yep. Be aware of what's happening to us. And I tried for probably two solid days uh, to figure out an application statement around how the connectivity between the gospel and hope. And I couldn't land on words that didn't confuse me. And somebody told me a long time ago that if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. Uh, so I am not going to try to confuse everybody. And, and if that didn't make sense, then that's because there's a mist in the pulpit. So that's right. That's exactly right. But somehow or another, there is hope connected to the gospel. And I think it's because who the gospel is connecting us to. It's our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Um, so I'm just going to leave that there, and I want it to be a, a bug in your head for a couple of months or years. I don't know. So we'll go with that. Uh, but yes, you've been sitting on it for like 10 minutes. I was wondering when you were going to say it. So thank you. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's the definition of hope here in the expectation and confidence, right? Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's right. But it shouldn't change, right? It shouldn't change. Agreed. We're either grounded or we're not, but the remain is an active. I think that's probably a good uh, conclusion to draw there. Um, but this hope is in the gospel, right? And how do we how do we know about the gospel? We what? We hear it, right? Which is what's page eighty-eight that you heard. You heard. How'd they hear it? Somebody spoke it, right? Somebody went and told them about the gospel, right? So a couple of applications here is the gospel must be heard. You got to hear it. You got to hear it. And then one of my favorite Greek words... So don't put it up yet, Dave. But, uh, oh, I skipped uh, Cyprian's quote. Oh, wow, I skipped like three quotes, hadn't I? Yep, sorry. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. Uh, here we go. I was supposed to set this up as the, scene, the setting for verse 23 because we talk about that. I got so excited about the what's not an adjective, actually. See, I can't even say it properly now, right? It's ridiculous. Um, so the setting of this, this is the background. I, I, somewhere Zeke is going, he used my quote. That's exactly right. Um, so this is a judgment scene where there's no judgment or guilty verdict specifically for the Christian, which is fantastic. Let's go forward too, Dave. Uh, true faith always looks to Christ Jesus. 
you thought I had forgotten about Davenant, didn't you? I didn't quote him for a week or two. He's back. Don't worry. He's back. He always looks to Jesus. This is, this is where the gospel uh, points to. And then, um, I don't know that I'm going to borrow too many other quotes from our next theologian, so two more. Uh, but this is Cyprian of Carthage. Uh, that we are Christians is the substance of faith and hope. The fact that we exist as Christians is a result of faith and hope and confidence in the gospel itself. So his argument here, uh, he made a lot of what I would argue really terrible arguments for the Catholic Church, but this is one that the Reformers actually got a hold of uh, in the middle of the Reformation and kind of hung, hung out on for a hot minute. But even the reality that we can be believers, is that not hopeful? Right? Absolutely. I think it is. I think it is. All right, let's go to the next slide there. Thank you very much. Um, it's amazing how much of my notes I skip, even when it's highlighted in a totally different color. Totally different color. It's just there it is. All right, so application, bottom page 88, the gospel must be heard. So hear it. Uh, another, and it says the next, this gospel has been proclaimed. So it has been proclaimed to herald, not like if you know a friend named Harold, but to herald, H-E-R-A-L-D, which I think is a perfect time to use one of my favorite pictures. This is the herald. This is the person that says, this is happening. Here's the, the reality. Now, y'all see what this one is, right? What's this one? Harry and Meghan, right? <laughs> Fine. I just want to. I just want to blur this a little bit, right? And like put Jesus Christ is Lord or something there. That'd be fantastic. Um, but the idea that there is a proclamation, that there is a a you hear it because it is proclaimed. So the gospel must be proclaimed. So proclaim it. Like none of us have an out on that. We all get to. I, it always bugs me when I hear somebody talk about evangelism as a burden of sorts. It's like, yeah, oh, this is. This is an incredible message. We get to participate and communicate. This is not a, oh, no, I've got to go do my Christian drudgery duty here. That's not the way this works. All right. Um, it has been proclaimed. Uh, let's go to the next slide, Dave. Uh, in all creation. In all creation. You're like, has it, though? Had it, though, at that time? Been proclaimed in all creation? Yep, sure had. It sure had. How do I know this? Because the Bible said so. <laughs> I will die on that hill. Yes. What's that? Just the word creation talks about, speaks to how it's proclaimed. It's not the gospel, this specific. God's glory has been proclaimed through creation. Yep. So just using those words right there talks about how it's proclaimed through everything. This is not to all people. It's through creation. Okay, it's in all. In all, yeah. That'll work. Under heaven, so page, sorry, I'm page 89 now. Uh, been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So in, in my mind, there's something here, and I, again, I couldn't land on it. It's something about the gospel's broad uh, proclamation, but also Paul turns it and he gets very, very specific. You know, Paul doesn't drop his own name in the middle of his letters very often. That's not a thing that he does. Um, it's one of the things I love about Paul, actually. But it gets very personal for him. And I, I sometimes think we skip past the 
personal component of our engagement with the proclamation of the gospel, and we get very, very consumed with, well, we gotta, we got to share it, we got to spread it, we got to share it, we got to spread it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that process, we still have a personal connection with the gospel. Like, don't lose the personal in the midst of this universal proclamation. proclamation. So, and I, Paul, have become uh, a servant, a doulos, of it. So Christians, so my last application today, as we are crash landing this plane, uh, Christians are servants to the gospel, not the other way around. And God help us when we get it backward. Right? God help us when we use his word for our purposes. Whew, it makes me nervous. So what do we do with that? I maybe serve well. Serve well. Somebody challenged me a couple of years ago to read through the New Testament and look at everything that was commended. Like what was commended. That was a fascinating read through the New Testament. Because the stuff that I would have thought would have been commended really doesn't get mentioned a lot. And the stuff that... Uh, the regular, consistent uh, remaining over in it, like this is the commendable stuff. Um, so let's serve well. Let's serve well. All right, so Christians are servants of the gospel, so serve well. Which leads us into verse 24, which we will not get to today. So we're going to pick up, Lord willing, next week with a brand new pericope. So we are finally done with this paragraph. Are you excited? So next week, Lord willing, we'll start with page 91. Uh, we will not spend much time on page 91 at all. And then we'll jump right into uh, verses 24, maybe through 27. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe. We'll see. All right, that's the lesson for today. You should have your weekly update on the table. Uh, if you would, lean in, engage, pray as a group. When you are finished praying, you are free to go and to worship this one who is worthy of all of our adoration and uh, his gospel is the one and only so thanks for coming today guys thanks for engaging and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast youtube channel and weekly email you can subscribe to all three of those at our grace and peace to you